Welcome to the 99 Challenges Podcast. On each episode in this show, we bring you one challenge that your business can face and invite experts to provide insights on overcoming these challenges. This episode is brought to you by Anywhere Consulting. We solve problems for growing businesses. We follow up each episode with more content at the99challenges.com or at anywhere.consulting. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Benet, founder of Anywhere Consulting. In today's episode, we will talk about intellectual property and how a business can benefit from IP. I think IP should be part of the innovation or the product development process for any business, not just because it helps them to protect their ideas, but also it helps them to grow their business with the use of IP. But how one should start with IP? To discuss, I have Ian Russell with me, founder of Russell IP. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. So for start, can you please tell me a bit more about yourself and Russell IP and how are you helping your clients? Sure. So I'm a UK and European patent attorney. I've been in the profession for just over 15 years. I started Russell IP at the beginning of last year. And before that, I was a partner for several years in, a, in an international IP firm. Most of my work's in telecoms, software, but I also specialize in music technology work. Music's a big passion of mine. Aside from that, I'm an inventor myself. I've got, I think the last count the other day was 15 of my own patents from from drones to dishwashers, all sorts of things that I'm trying to license and and get people interested in. I've had a few kind of businesses myself, so I'm probably not not your average patent attorney. (laughs) That's highly unusual. Yeah. Usually most of the IP professionals, they are not innovators themselves. It really does help with understanding the clients, I guess. I think that's exactly right. And it's it's sort of, you know, understanding the inventor journey and also having firsthand experience of setting up a business and some of the difficult decisions that you have to make. There's there's only a limited amount of time and money to be spent on everything. And I think having gone through that yourself, you have a better appreciation that what might seem important to other people isn't necessarily, you know, the highest priority for the business. This is interesting. Thank you. So we will talk a, a lot about intellectual property and or IP for short today. Mm. And usually I don't think we need to go into definition phase in our conversations on our podcast episodes. But for IP, I do think it is a bit of a necessity. As I've worked with IP companies before, I do understand that IP can be confusing, mainly for customers, especially first-time IP owners. Because they don't really distinguish between the different types of IP protection assets. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the bottom line um, is that if you want to protect your brand name, logo, or tagline, you want to get a trademark. If you want to protect your artistic work, such as a music or literature, you want to get a a copyright. And if finally, if you want to protect your unique idea, novel part of your business or your core of your business, you go for a patent. Have you had any experience in your practice where your clients didn't really know the difference between the, the IP? So the, the summary that you provided was was great. The one thing I'd say, there's one extra that people often forget about. It's a, it's a really good one to remember, and it's not that well known, and that is called a registered design. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's something that you're familiar with, but... It's a, it's a design it, patent. Exactly. In the US, it's called a design patent. In most other countries, it's called a registered design. And Mm -hmm. and a registered design protects the way something looks. 
rather than how it works or what it's called. So in some ways, it's a little bit like copyright, but it, it gives much stronger protection. So I, I think it's always a good one to remember. In, in terms of kind of clients that I work with, I actually, through Russell IP, work with companies that have a reasonable knowledge of IP already. So I, I tend to say that they're patent savvy Mm-hmm. businesses who work with universities and students at universities who are less aware of that but that's more in a kind of mentoring and support role rather than clients that I'm working with directly so the clients that I'm working with directly are say law firms or in-house IP departments of big technology companies or startups who understand the differences between the various forms of IP Oh, that's good to hear. Even the startup companies, because usually what I experienced is that, of course, solopreneurs or individual innovators, um, they don't really know the, the differences between the types. But sometimes I also saw that the startup companies and their founders, those guys who actually own the IP at the end, they don't really know the difference either. So you didn't have that experience. That's a, it's a great stuff. Well, I, I think there are startups that exactly as you dis- described, but they're not the companies that I'm currently working with at the minute. So al- almost like there is a threshold for the level of knowledge of startups that, mm. that, that Russell IP works with. So you're absolutely right. There are startups out there or individuals who don't have that full understanding. It's just they're not uh, the clients that, that Russell IP currently works with. Sure. So most of the our audience members are are small business owners or or entrepreneurs what do you think what are the main reasons why innovators or sme owners should protect their assets with ip the main reason with registered ip is to have a monopoly over something so whether as you say it's branding a logo a tagline the appearance of something or technology kind of the whole point of ip registered ip patents registered designs registered trademarks is to give the owner commercial control over how other people can use that and to be able to take action if people are using it in a way that the owner isn't happy with that's the the core purpose of of ip often people don't really want to have to go around suing people and enforcing these rights the option is there particularly with patents which is what i specialize in and particularly for entrepreneurs and early stage businesses Probably the most common reason I hear for for patents in particular is to help with investment. An investor looking to invest in a business wants to de-risk where they can. And if there is some great technology in a business, but someone else could replicate that without there being any control, that's going to add a bit of extra risk to the investment. So, you know, investors like to know that people have thought about IP, thought about patents. Is there something patentable there? Have they applied for a patent? Sure. And uh, yeah, don't forget, obviously, with the play of the words that intellectual property is a property. So it means that it is a business asset for any businesses, which can be sold, franchised or whatever, which is really great to know for an investor. Absolutely. And, and yeah, licensing of IP can be a way to passively generate revenue, even if you're not um, you know, actively making something or if there's someone who isn't a, a competitor and your IP is broad enough and useful enough to them. Y- yeah, you're exactly right. And that was actually... Uh, yeah, I would, I would say that's a really interesting uh, point or a good reason to think about IP as well. 
I think another strong reason is um, to act as a deterrent. Having a patent allows you to actively and proactively do things with that to to enforce it. But also registered forms of IP sit on official registers that people can search. So someone might come along that you have a patent application or see that you have a registered trademark and think, oh, I need to be really careful. I'm not going to go that close to that because they obviously take IP seriously and they've got something that might stop me from getting too close. And, and I think of that as quite passive in a way, because you might not know that someone has ever, you know, looked on the register and found out about that IP. So there is this kind of, you know, deterrent that, that sort of sits there serving a purpose without you necessarily knowing that someone has seen it. Sure, sure. It actually protects you from copycats. In a passive way. Exactly. And then I think another important aspect of it, and, and in a way these are all interrelated, is, is the kind of the marketing and probably more on the patent side, the, the sort of research validation side of things. Being able to say patent pending, that means that you've filed a patent application. It doesn't mean it's been granted. And I often think patent pending sounds like a patent has been granted and there is certified ingenious technology there, but it, it really means that you've lodged a patent application. So I think saying patent pending is great from a marketing perspective. Sure, sure. And it also shows that the business owner or who owns the patent is also like really cautious about their business and they think that they should take uh, things seriously. Yeah. As an innovator yourself, which is highly unusual for an IP professional, <laughs> I think you can relate to this question that during the innovation process, when do you think, and let's focus only on patents now, when do you think an innovator should file for a patent? It's a great question. So... I think people should be thinking about it right from the very start. I think it is really worth understanding what sort of things can be patented, what sort of things can't. And right from the start, keeping that in mind, one thing that is very useful to do, and I will answer the question in a moment, one thing that is very useful to do is some initial searching to see what's out there already. Because until there is something kind of novel, which means different from what's out there already, there isn't anything that's patentable. So it's good to understand where the land lies. And then as you go along, once you've identified something that's you know, valuable to you and is, and is novel, and there are various other requirements for patents, such as being non-obvious, then that's a good starting point to be thinking about patents. Now, typically when you file a patent application, there's work and costs involved. And just having the very basis of an invention, it might not warrant all of that work and cost. So you, you tend to wait to a stage where you have something substantial for a patent application. And one really important requirement is that you have to be able to provide what is called an enabling disclosure of the invention. So you have to be able to describe the invention in enough detail that someone skilled in the art could put it into effect without having to invent something themselves. Sure. So if you're not at that stage, you, you're probably not going to meet that requirement to get a patent. One very important point, I would say probably the most important point, is making sure that a patent application is filed before any details of the invention are disclosed in a non-confidential manner. That is almost the most important point, because once details of the invention are out there, it's any patent application filed after that is stands a good chance of being invalid. Meaning before you go public with your idea. Exactly. And going public includes going public as a big exercise, 
but also the types of disclosures that can invalidate patent applications. It, it's quite surprising. It's any type of disclosure. So it could be a blog post. It could be putting something on a website. It could be something on social media. It, it does depend how much of the invention is disclosed. Everything kind of chips away a little bit at what you might be able to protect. So you have to be you have to be very careful with that. The US has, and some other countries have, a grace period. I, I tend to think that they are to get you out of trouble if you disclose something rather than thinking, look, I'm going to disclose it and then I've got a load of time to file a patent application. But in Europe and the UK, the, the grace period doesn't exist. If Even if you disclose something yourself, once that's out there, you then can't protect that. And it's actually something that people have to be very careful with because people might be familiar with the US system where there is a little bit of flexibility around that, but other countries are very strict. One thing that can happen is there can be a, a disclosure of something very general around the invention, and that might not invalidate a patent application for something that's you know much more focused a- around that. You can probably imagine there's a bit of a a fuzzy boundary between what's been disclosed, what can be patented. So strictly speaking, the safest thing is is not to say anything. What if you disclose this with your colleagues? Can an NDA protect from this disclosure? Hiccups. Yeah, exactly. And an NDA is a good way to do that. The disclosures that are most damaging for patents are public disclosures, which basically means anything that's not confidential. So if there is a disclosure that is confidential, which it would be if it was under, you know, an NDA, then that doesn't, you know, invalidate the patent application. The reality, and certainly from my experience of being an inventor, is there are different levels of willingness to sign NDAs. So some companies just won't sign an NDA if you want to, if you want to talk to them about something. And, And there's a good reason for that. An NDA If someone signs an NDA, they're saying, I'm not going to disclose this information publicly. But what if that company already has that information? What if they've been working on that themselves? They've signed something saying, I I now can't talk about it. So I I think that's often one of the reasons why there's a little bit of reluctance to sign NDA. I understand. So in summary, you think that an early stage business or 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 a single innovator they should implement the same thinking with the innovation process, which is apparently live with other huge or or bigger corporations, where they specifically design the innovation process with filing a patent in mind from like pretty much day one. I think people take different approaches to, to innovation. I come at this from the perspective of thinking about patents and innovation. So for me, the two are very closely interlinked. Mm -hmm. Some people might want more creative freedom. Perhaps they want to innovate in a much more, yeah, a much less constrained way and and perhaps not think about patents the entire journey. I think what's important is if someone is potentially interested in patents for what they're developing, it's good to think about that along the way. The 99 Challenges podcast is produced by Anywhere Consulting. We solve problems for growing businesses with specialized marketing and business services. If you want to partner up with us, visit our site at anywhere.consulting. If you want to read more about our podcast episodes or want to become a guest on our show, please visit d99challenges.com. What if you want to go global with your with your patent or innovation? I understand there are some global like PCT and other applications, but do you need to change your innovation process locally somehow to make sure that your idea will get a patent in several different countries or 
going global just means that you just file a PCT. It's, it's a huge money and that's it. So I guess it's always worth thinking about innovation globally. When it comes to patents, when you prepare a patent application, different countries have quite different patent laws. There, there is some harmonization, but when you draft a patent application, you often think about what is good and bad and harmful in all of the countries that we might want to get a patent in. So when you draft a patent application, um, you think about it universally as much as you can. When you file patent applications in, in different patent offices, yeah, often you come up against different types of objections and different what is called prior art so examples of yeah. information that's already in the public domain and ultimately what you try to patent and what you get a patent for hopefully can vary between different countries you, you can think about the in a, you know the i guess the upfront innovation differently for different countries but also the kind of the patent strategy differs as well i, I think one thing that's interesting around thinking around the innovation side of things, certainly from my perspective. So one area that I'm really interested in myself as an inventor is drones. And drones have different regulations in different countries. Yeah, airspace regulation, yeah. Exactly. So if I'm thinking about drones, it's not just the technology and the hardware. And if I'm thinking about something that may have some sort of regulatory aspects or maybe something to do with privacy, what I would be doing is I'd be thinking, look, okay, what are the privacy rules around drones in the UK you know, for me? What about the US? What about other markets? And actually, does that influence my innovation? Because perhaps some countries have really strict rules. Perhaps some countries don't. How far must a drone be away from a person you know, for it to be safe to operate? And how close can you get to a building? And that differs between different countries. And does that influence the way I'm innovating. So I, I think you're right that thinking about different territories absolutely helps with the innovation stage as well as the patent stage. Yeah, you mentioned that thinking ahead is, is, is really big part of the innovation process. But again, I'm still thinking with the head of the solopreneur and the SME owner here. How should one start to educate themselves on patents? How can they learn or where should they turn to uh, learn more information about patents to make sure that information will be implemented in their innovation process. There are lots of good free online resources for UK-based companies. The UK Intellectual Property Office has a lot of good guidance. There are IP toolkits and you can work through them and see what IP you have. Different national patent offices have similar resources. The European Patent Office and the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO, also have really good resources as well. One thing that I would suggest as well, if if you're serious about IP and you think there may be IP at the stage you're at or further down the line, it's, it's a good idea to speak to an IP attorney. Most if not all, they will have an initial consultation without charging for it. And they'll do that at the start of the process and give you ideas to think about and probably again, further down the line when things are developed. So I don't think people should be shy or afraid of speaking to IP attorneys. They're there to help. Cool, cool. Do you see any trends? Do you see any trends in the IP industry in general that innovators should focus on in the upcoming years on the future? In, in terms of the innovation and technology or the sort of the patent system? I think both. I'm not sure that it's not interlinked. In terms of technology, probably the biggest thing is AI and machine learning, I would say. I think you tend to see 
you know, maybe the right term is hyped, thinking about the Gartner hype cycle, hyped technologies that for maybe two or three years, I'll be seeing a lot of inquiries around certain technology and that sometimes they come and go. AI machine learning, I've been seeing a lot of interest in that for probably five or six years. And I think it's growing in, in popularity at the minute. That probably on the technology side of things, it's an area that seems to be growing. And, and I, I think you're right that the link between the technology and the patent system, the patent system is having to you know, adapt to AI inventions and how does it handle them? How does it deal with them? So I think that's an interesting area. As an innovator yourself, how, if you can describe, that would be really helpful for others, how the innovation process worked for you. So did you, and I just give you an example, because some of the um, innovators work like this, that they see a unique idea publicly available And they try to work their way back on their own innovation and change it slightly so it can be applied with patents, for example. Or something is totally and completely novel and new and unique. There is no applicable, even slightly related innovation around that. So share your journey. What was your journey? I think for me, there are two different ways that I approach innovation and inventing myself so the first is there will be probably typically an everyday problem that really annoys me and I feel like I want to solve it and what I will do is see if there is a solution out there already that perhaps I've missed and if there isn't I then get really excited <laughs> like I can start thinking through this so to, to give you an example and this is all public domain I noticed that our dishwasher wasn't working very well and I couldn't work out why and after you know internet research I realized that the, the spray arm in it gets clogged with rice and lime scale and I couldn't work out how to clean it because it's got very small holes it's you know molded as one piece and I was trying to get all sorts of tools in there to clean it and, and I couldn't that kicked off a whole idea for me around ways of improving dishwasher spray arms to make them easier to clean um, and that's ultimately something I ended up getting a patent the actual patent and it's it goes back to something that we spoke about earlier the idea that I had was quite expansive there were all different areas of it and what what I ended up getting a patent for I, I had to change direction a little bit because of prior art that was found out there but I guess to paraphrase it is a a transparent dishwasher spray arm so you can see inside you can see what is in there where you need to go to clean it and then you can see if it's cleaned amazing and there you found any business around it or have you set up a company to sell it have you licensed it or, or what do you do with that what I'm trying to get there is that sometimes innovators they do have a a unique idea, but they are not monetizing it. Absolutely. So my idea was not to start making dishwasher spray arms. It was to go to dishwasher companies. And, and actually, as an aside, there aren't that many when there are lots of different brands around dishwashers, but there are a handful of... Five to ten. Exactly. And to say, look, I've, I've got this idea. I think like it. What do you think? And, and also, really, for me, I would absolutely love to see someone commercializing one of my ideas it's it, for me it's not about the money i really want someone to take one of those ideas and then see it in a product but it's really hard you now how do you find the right person at a company to contact surprisingly for me dishwasher companies often have sections on their websites where people can submit 
invention ideas in other sectors it's not as it's not as easy as that there's a lot of hard work to be done but yeah i think perhaps some people to get a patent for whatever reason for me it was i'd love to see the product on the market i'm not going to be making dishwashers myself can i find something that other people find valuable they might want to use and it's the the start of working together the the other um, side of innovation for me is i guess what i've always thought of as blue sky and future focused so it's not I've seen something and there's a problem with it and I just having a creative mind want to try to fix it. Uh, and, and this has been particularly the case with drones. What I like to do, and, and I'll link this back to patents in a moment, what I like to do is to jump maybe 10, 15 years into the future. And with drones, what I would think is, what problems might there be with drones in 10, 15 years if they become really popular? And that's the starting point for innovation for me. So I'd be, you know, it's really high level things like privacy, safety, security, logistics, and then I work backwards from there. So Mm -hmm. I would, I'd have an idea around privacy and and I can give you an actual example of of one of the, one of the drone ideas, if that's useful. I was thinking, imagine if there was a drone flying around outside my window I don't want it to see me through the window I don't really mind it seeing the outside of the building because everyone sees the outside of the building one of these drone ideas started there and ultimately led to the idea of what if drones could detect a window and then pixelate or obscure in some other way what they would otherwise be able to see through the window and you know if drones are being used for inspection or mapping that's quite useful because you don't have to worry about capturing personal information for me that was the starting point of one of the ideas it wasn't seeing a drone outside and thinking there is a specific problem with that that i need to tweak and solve it was a much more future focused and blue sky kind of work backwards i think yeah. when you when you look at sort of future focused innovation it's a it's a bit of a double-edged sword because if you're thinking a long way ahead and, and this links it back to the patent side of things patents last for you know up to 20 years in most in most countries really the technology might it might take a long time before it catches up with the pattern. But there's also, you know, a chance that it just goes in a different direction. So if you're, you know, innovating, future-focused innovation, it, on the one hand, it's good from the patent side of things because you're thinking a long way ahead of everyone else. You can get some very broad patents because there isn't as much out there around that. But maybe things won't go in that direction. Whereas if you're solving problems with current products or looking for ways to innovate them probably there's a market already so it's it's not that one's right and one's wrong i think they're just different ways of looking at innovation sure sure yeah if you solve current problems with current market needs and i wanted to comment on the on the dishwasher thing for example usually how it works is that you don't need to submit your idea to the big corporation will contact you based on the publicly available patent databases and they might want to buy the patent or license it somehow. Filing a patent is, well, it's costly. It should be treated as an investment from the business owner's point of view. Because it is an investment, what do you think should be the first steps or any important tips that you can share for those who want to file their first ever patent? How should they start? And when you're thinking about investments there's risk if you spend a load of money on a patent application without knowing what's out there already you know, in terms of what's in the public domain it's quite high risk so one thing that i think is good to do at the start and 
anyone can do for free is some searching themselves. So if you've got the, the first thing I do, that, and I think the first thing that, you know, individuals, very early stage businesses should do themselves is, has anyone done this before? And for example, the European Patent Office um, has a good search uh, service, which is free to use, and you can search it using keywords, you can search it using patent classifications. From my own experience, there are things that I've thought, oh, this is a great idea. I spend five minutes on a spasnet and I've knocked it out straight away. And one of two things happens. Maybe that was the idea and there's nothing else to it and I don't spend any more time. Maybe it thinks, maybe I think, actually, you know what? I think I can work on this a little bit further and I go in a different direction so I can be inspired to innovate by what's out there already. Or modify it a little bit to make sure that it's modified but still unique. Exactly. Now, I think in terms of, again, the investment, really documenting well ideas, again, thinking about patents, the way that, you know, the, the patent system often works and the way that patent attorneys think is what's out there already, what are the problems with it, what do we do, what are the advantages, and what is really essential about our invention, what are the essential features that it just can't work without, and then what are the kind of optional features. Thinking through that, it is helpful how comprehensive is that understanding of the invention. I think, again, really in terms of the, the investment, it, it is worth speaking to patents and IP early, early on, perhaps when you've got to that stage and say, look, this is what's out there. This is what I think our core set of features is. If it's advantageous, we think that other people might want to use it. It's valuable to us. An IP attorney won't say yes or no, but they'll give a you know good guidance on that. And I think that gives you reassurance before you invest the money and also the time in starting the patent process because it does take up the the time of the inventor or or the applicant as well. Uh, Cool. If someone has any further questions and thank you so much for sharing all these insights. If if someone has any further questions on IP or patents, where where should they contact you? Sure. So the best way to get in contact is through the Russell IP website, which is russellip.com. And there is a contact form on there that anyone can use to raise an inquiry. I'm also quite active on LinkedIn as well and would welcome anyone to connect on LinkedIn. And I try to share what I find interesting patents and interesting legal updates as well. And I think it's a great forum to sort of network. I would love to connect with anyone uh, on LinkedIn as well and communicate through that. Awesome, Ian. Thank you for being a guest on our show. I hope we could provide valuable insights for those who are thinking about intellectual property or getting one for their business. We will cover more business challenges in our upcoming episodes. As always, we will follow up this show with more content on our site at the99challenges.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the 99 Challenges show. We follow up each episode with more content at the99challenges.com or at anywhere.consulting. Have a specific challenge you want us to discuss? Want to be a guest on our show? Feel free to drop us a line at info at anywhere.consulting. Until next time, take care and grow.